The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy. Minnesota may be the land of 10,000 lakes, but we have 11,000. And guess what? Five of them are great. It's Great Lakes Celebrates with your host, Elena Gonzalez. Every week we celebrate noteworthy Michiganders. I'm Mike Bobbitt. Think of me as the salt in your better maid. And she's the bubbles in your burners. It's Elena Gonzalez. Hi, Mike. Hello. (laughs) I would like, I know I'm a little early, but I would like to be the first to wish you very happy because I know this is a big, this is a big deal to you. Very happy. May the fourth be with you. And also with you. <laughs> I've I've talked a lot about being a, a bad Michigander. And one of, I know that this isn't a Michigan specific thing, but it's also a, a dark spot in my, in my personality, in my knowledge base. And that is, I've never, I've never seen a Star Wars. You think anything. you are getting out of this house? <laughs> Without seeing Star Wars, you realize how many hours of Star Wars are on Blu-ray in this house alone. I mean, we're just going to stream it on Disney Plus first, and then we're going to watch it all with the commentary. Someone is going to have to put out an APB for you because you will not be seen again until we watch all of Star Wars. Wow. I know. I know. I do know. I do know things, though. And not just the so. The this Luke was the last thing. episode of Great Lake Celebrate because <laughs> this was the episode that Elena broke my heart. This is oh, the st- you know things great. Like, I, I, but more than just the Luke and Leia thing. Like, I know what the- species is Chewbacca? Wookie. All right. <laughs> what a Wookie! Uh, I I learned that from Kevin Smith, and uh, I know the it's a trap guy. Uh, Admiral Akbar. Mm-hmm. I do know. I There's do know him. Artwork of him right over there <gasps> in my uh, museum art kitchen. That's my like back pocket go to deep cut because I go no I I I know some things like Admiral Akbar like it's a trap and people go oh okay well oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> I, I can't go any any further than that though. Now do you take it to the nth degree? Do you what's the fifth? Um, May the Sith, isn't there a Sith something? I think now you're just making stuff up and being silly. <laughs> Let's talk about some great Michigan stories. Okay. As I get over my broken heart. Well, hopefully this will help mend your broken heart because it will be very near and dear to your heart. Uh, we are going to talk about the amazing things happening in a little place called Troy Athens High School. Ever Ooh, heard of it? Go Red Hawks! Woo-hoo! Every year... Since uh, since 1998, they have been keeping track of money that they have raised during Charity Week, and I know that that's a little, mm, mm, well, well past Mike's time. Uh, what? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I mean, just by eight years. Who's who's counting? That year. They raised $8,400 for Gilda's Club, which is great. Yeah. And they kept track of it every year. They would they would change uh, charities. It was entirely student run. And they knew that this year it would be a challenge coming out of the pandemic. Everybody's coming back. 
they decided that their focus was going to be on Alex's Saints Foundation, which is a local organization that was started in 2020 to combat the opioid epidemic. It was oh, wow. named in memory of Alex St. Pierre, an Athens graduate who passed away from an overdose in 2019. And this organization helps young adults pay for rehab. This was the charity that they decided to focus on for this year. And they had a goal for their week in February, a goal of 100000 They raised... Drum roll, please. $117,706.46. Wow. If that doesn't move you, I don't I don't know what would. So, I want to know who the knucklehead was who donated 46 cents, though. You and me both. Yeah. But. <laughs> Let's see. I got uh, $6 and uh, 45. Four forty-five, forty-six cents. Yes. What does that take it up to? <laughs> One thousand seventeen. <laughs> yeah, a hundred seventeen thousand seven hundred six dollars and forty-six cents. Now, the- <laughs> you really need to give us the pennies, man. <laughs> I mean, their heart was in the right place. Yes, 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 and 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 every little bit does help. But that's so great. That to- is great that they blew like by over ten percent. Yeah. To, to set a goal like that in, in a week and, and to blow it out of the water and to have it all go for such a, a great charity. Kudos to you guys. Uh, what did you say they are? Red Hawks? Red Hawks. Red Hawks. Yeah, let's see what you guys did. Troy Colts. That's the uh, rival high school. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that that is a rivalry that I will I will fully support. Like, okay, we got 117000 for Alex the Saints. What can you do, Colts? Yeah. Yeah, that makes me happy. Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a nice warm and fuzzy. On a different kind of warm and fuzzy, they finally brought back the naming rights to Pine Knob. I know that's why I call it DTE now. <laughs> I'm that guy. Have you started making merch yet? Yep. <laughs> I still call it DTE Energy Music Theater. They brought in a new logo. That they that they put a little vintage spin on it. Uh, they tried to make it look all all seventies ish, and the fiftieth anniversary is coming up this summer on June twenty fifth. Wow! Yeah, I am exactly three weeks older than my <laughs> knob. Wow! I've never felt older in my life. What was your first concert at Pine Knob? My first concert at Pine Knob was actually also my first concert without parents. And it was uh, Alanis Morissette on her Jagged Little Pill tour. Myself and two of my friends, um, we went, we were 16, 17 slash. And uh, my friend's mom knew someone who uh, was a limo driver. And so we took a limo to Pine Knob, and I've never confessed this into a microphone, but the limo driver also stopped at the liquor store for us, and so we... So you told the limo driver, no, we are underage, we will not be drinking any of that, but thank you for the thoughts. Exactly. That is exactly what occurred, and... That was very responsible of you. Yes, we were We were, We were. were good, good Girl Scouts, and we got to the venue and immediately realized that while we may have been old enough 
for our parents to think that we could go to a concert by ourselves. We were definitely not old enough to think about all of the things that go along with going to a concert at Pine Knob. Right. Uh, first thing being we had lawn seats and uh, did not have anything to sit on. But thankfully, it was the 90s. And we were true children of the 90s with flannels tied around our waist. Yep. So we tied our flannels together, created our own makeshift blanket, and enjoyed the hell out of that show. Oh. Yeah, that was our... What was yours? Uh, Also about the same time uh, age-wise, 16, 17 years old, maybe, Mm -hmm. saw Metallica. Ooh, nice. And uh, I think the cult opened (gasps) for them. But my favorite... Pine Knob story is you and I both worked in radio. Yes. I worked at 96.3 when it was the planet and we did planet fest there with Duran Duran, the Ramones lettered to Cleo and um, a a lot of uh, no use for a name and stuff. Mm -hmm. I got to watch the Ramones from backstage. Shut your face. And I got to hand Simon LeBon, the program director of 96.3 cell phone, because that was in the writer that Simon LeBon needed to make a phone call as soon as he got off stage. So as soon as Duran Duran was done, I got to give Simon LeBon a cell phone. Wow. My radio Pinom story is not as cool. It was my first uh, celebrity interview. Ooh. Was uh, was at, at Pinob and it was... It was one that I was extremely excited about in the moment. You know, it's your first one. And and I got to be, you know, I was helping with the gear and do all the stuff. And I got to come up with some of the questions. And I was like, yeah. And uh, and I've been ridiculed for it uh, for the last 20 years. It was uh, Chad Kroger, the lead singer of Nickelback. Oh. Uh, Yeah. But it was 2001. It was before the tide had turned. And he was the... The punchline to to every joke. Looking at the calendar for the the 50th anniversary on June 25th, they are doing a radio combo. It's going to be 99.5 WYCD. They're doing the hoedown. Uh, Brooks and Dunn will be the the headliner. And like every every radio show, I'm sure there will be a, a ton of other of other guests. But that's that's great that they're. They're 50 years. They're they're bringing it back to radio. That's very cool. The person that I am talking to today, I had never met, as most of these these interviews right. have. And I get some information about the person, and then I'm just excited to meet them. And this woman's bio, the n- amount of different things that she has done in her life. I was so excited to meet this person because it ran the gamut. Everything from author to phone sex operator uh wow to, like and everything in between she is a very 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 fascinating person so i am so excited for you all to hear this interview with wednesday webster friday coming up after this Wednesday. Hi, thanks oh, for having me. Thank you for chatting with me today. Uh, you are you are a very, very, I can't even say very enough, busy, busy person <laughs> and fascinating person. I was thinking about what to talk to you about and there are so many things. I hope you don't mind. I'm, I'm going to preemptively try to book you to 
to come back because I feel like we're going to need, we are going to need more time, but where, where should we start? Okay. Selfishly, I need to talk for 10 seconds. You at one point in your life classified yourself as a reptile wrangler. And I need to know what that involves. Well, I mean, it is kind of how it sounds. Um, I started out <laughs> in a pet shop. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. Well, and one of the things you learn in a pet shop is in between cleaning out the fuzzy animal cages mm-hmm. and then switching to the reptile cages, definitely want to wash your hands. <laughs> so the snakes do not think that you are a little fuzzy oh. animal. Um, but yeah, I, I love snakes in particular. I mm-hmm. think, that, I mean, they're the perfect combination of fascinating and dangerous, but mm-hmm. manageable. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, I'm trying to think, I think the biggest snake I've handled by myself would be about 10 feet, which is a little longer than you should. Generally speaking, a snake that's over six feet, there should be another adult either yeah. helping handle or yeah. standing by for every additional three feet. But yeah. uh, I, I haven't died, so... <laughs> So far, so good. So far, so good. That I, I love that mentality. Just you know what? I have, it hasn't killed me yet, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna well, keep people going. People weren't saying YOLO yet when I was handling snakes, and uh, it really is an opportunity missed because I would have yelled it every time. <laughs> I, I think I think poss- like in in uh, we can retroactively say that you um, that you invented YOLO. You were the <laughs> you were the catalyst of of the YOLO movement. I'm, um, I'm the you, and you only live once. <laughs> <laughs> Reminder Wednesday: You only live once. Yeah, snakes are uh, snakes are definitely very very interesting, and I like how you say that they that they are are still manageable, but when you look at those large size and you look at like a like an anaconda or some other like a cobra have you ever used any of your reptile wrangling skills or knowledge in any of your writings? Uh, a little. I usually will throw in a character that has some sort of a reptile, whether it's oh, a, a okay. snake or a, a lizard. I'm actually, I'm a pet-free household right now, mm-hmm. and I'm looking into getting tortoises. We <gasps> thought about snakes, but I actually, I had a yellow anaconda, which is mm-hmm. the smaller breed of anaconda, mm-hmm. for a while. And it bit me a lot. Oh. And... You know, which I think my biggest regret, though, is that the teeth were very sharp. I have been bitten by an anaconda at least 25 times. I do not have a single scar. And I'm sorry, but <gasps> that's just crap. If, how? if you can't get, how do you get bit by a snake and not have a cool scar to tell the story? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you need to take a, a fork or something and, uh, right? <laughs> you know, get it. Go out looking for another snake and sort of coerce it into biting me. Yes, yes. Start. Then, just kind of drag it a little bit. Oh no, it's leaving a scar. <laughs> oh no, please stop this snake from biting me. Please, whatever it takes. Uh yeah, it's I'll be, one of- I'll be disfigured. I'll never be a swimsuit model now. <laughs> <laughs> that will be my excuse for the rest of my life, just so uh, anybody who's listening, that is exactly why I'm not a swimsuit model. I am well, uh, horribly YOLO. disfigured from my anaconda attack. <laughs> 
Isn't that always the way? Which, uh, for folks at home, uh, leads me nicely into uh, your your other career uh, as a as a phone sex operator and a sex writer. Uh, yeah. And, because I I cannot uh, I am I am still twelve years old, uh, and that's how mature <laughs> my jokes are. That as soon as they said anaconda attack, it's like oh, and she's a sex writer, so that fits <laughs> right in there. I can't pass up a dick joke. I I don't want to I don't want to be as basic as how did you get started in sex writing but i am i am curious because when i think of when i think of a sex writer i think of that as as much more of a much more of a positive term than say a romance writer or a bodice ripping love story writer how would you define sex writing well i mean obviously there are a lot of different ways to be a sex writer and i think one of the ways is to write fiction with graphic sex scenes mm-hmm. that's not what i do okay i uh, my sex writing is more uh fact based we have i write for women's health interactive Okay. And that's who I write for now. I've also done writing for Kinkly mm-hmm. and uh, for, for some sex tech websites that focus on, you know, sex toy development and AI okay. sex stuff. Mm-hmm. So- that sort of thing. But at WHI, all of our articles are vetted by doctors. So we're we're not messing around. Right. And it, it is it's serious content, but mm-hmm. it's also presented in a very uh a friendly, a, a chatty, informative, witty tone. I, and but I think I that like that's the best lot. that that's the best way that uh, that that people can learn. You know, that's a, you don't want to give them a textbook that is that is so bland that they're going to that they're not going to follow along. But you I'm I'm glad that you're that you're giving some some hard and fast facts there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we do there and the feedback that we get on it is largely positive every time, though. Uh, well, I shouldn't say every time, but oftentimes when I write a piece that is positive about the use of sex toys or about mm-hmm. masturbation and just embracing that as part of the general experience of being a human and mm-hmm. a, a woman in particular. I have heard from many men that I am the reason that relationships don't work out anymore and I am the reason mm. that the women think they don't need men. And first of all, I'm always surprised to find out how powerful I am because yes. you'd think I, I'd you'd think I'd be richer if I were really I mean, that powerful. As, as the woman who started YOLO, like what can you expect? <laughs> But I mean, you're really telling on yourself when yes. you, you say that you were replaced by a, a silicone sex toy. Yeah. Like, what else do you have to offer if mm-hmm. that negates your usefulness? Exactly. And I I am so happy to hear hear you say that. It is it is something that uh, that is definitely very, very near and dear to my heart. And I think that as women, at least as I have gotten older and as I've looked at the, the younger generation, I hope that this continues to happen. But the more that we are able to talk about sex, when I was growing up, no one was talking about female masturbation ever. Like it just never happened. They would oh, yeah. there were there were jokes in every single sitcom about the teenage boy's crusty sock, but there was never even a, a whiff of it um, for females. And so having that chance to be empowered and to have that control is, I think, what is going to continue that discussion and, and help us. And yeah, what are you bringing to the table if that is, if that is your myopic look at what is destroying relationships? 
maybe you should take a step back and maybe get a hobby and oh, find totally. some other I interesting mean, things. Yeah. What, what we really try to do, what I try to do is, is two pronged. I want to mm-hmm. provide information and I want to remove stigma. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, like those two things, that's such a huge part of the battle. When I was in college, I met, you know, girls who were 17, 18, 19 years old, had no idea that women masturbated, n- did not think it was really a thing. Raising my hand. All sex yep. toys were, were for men, mm-hmm. you know, and it was baffling to me. But then I think back on it. And at that age, I didn't talk about masturbation. Yeah. I thought it was, uh, I mean, somewhere between private, like in a none of your business way, but also mm-hmm. I was a fat chick and I didn't do very well with men when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So the trope of like fat girl in a room with a dildo uh, is not, yeah. not really what I wanted to project. And and it right, wasn't until right. I was actually, after a few years of being a phone sex operator, I had a much more varied idea of what people were doing sexually and what people's fantasies were. And it, it sort of gave me a mental and emotional permission to say, look, these things go on. I know mm-hmm. that they go on. So let's talk about it. Yeah. And that's what ended up happening. That's that's fantastic. Because I, I think that they are so connected and yet yet still there is still such a stigma and there is still shame and confusion along with it and i know that you've that you've also uh, worked with with roots of loneliness and, and I'm going to do a terrible segue here, but I feel like from a mental health perspective, talking about myself, I don't think that Elena is happier when she masturbates, period, end of story. But Elena being able to talk about it, knowing it exists, have that freedom, not have that shame is happier, period, end of story. And I think that that's, that, that is something that could be true um, for a lot of people, especially especially in in the generations where it, it hasn't been discussed prior to. Oh, what- totally. Well, if you look at like sex education in schools, for example, on the off chance that you are getting unbiased fact-based sex education, mm-hmm. it is largely academic and it, it pretty much ignores the emotional and, mm-hmm. and mental mm-hmm. side of that. So, you know, finding out how many days the period lasts and what kind of condoms prevent right. what sort of, of disease. I mean, that's, that's important. And information, but you also need to have some frame of reference for when do you say no? When do you say Mm -hmm. yes? What does this mean? What is, you know, and when I started getting mail from younger people, I I did an article about hands-free masturbation and it was one of the ways to to remove stigma from masturbating and also goes through like different age groups, like what kids do and what what Mm -hmm. teenagers do. And I, I got a lot of positive responses from younger women saying, I never knew anyone else did that. I was so ashamed of doing that. And it even when you get your validation 20 years later that like, Mm -hmm. no, that was perfect. It wasn't just okay that you did that. It was normal. A Mm -hmm. lot of people do that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's nothing to feel bad about. And if anyone told you to feel bad about it, they were wrong. Yes. They were wrong to tell you that. Yes. That is their problem. You have to propagate that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, slowly it, it starts this gradual societal change where instead of a room falling into a hushed silence at the word masturbation, you'll have women nudging each other and winking and mm-hmm. it might lead to a conversation about new sex toys. Because my God, sex toys these days 
are insane. The innovation in the industry is, I mean, if someone had told me when I was 19 that there would be a machine that simulates cunnilingus or that there would be a bunch of different ones you can choose from. Uh-huh. Like, I want that one. I want the one that looks like a flower. Okay, we got you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That That is nuts. It'd be like trying to explain an, an iPhone to someone during the Great Depression. Like, right. what are we even saying? <laughs> This is that side of it is is something that blows my mind that the manufacturers and and maybe they are doing this and I'm just not educated enough. So apologies, Mr. CEO of of sex toy company, if you are (laughs) listening and I'm unaware, but making that connection to support and fund initiatives like like the Women's Health Interactive or other groups that are getting out information and removing that stigma to allow it to be more of a casual conversation is only going to up sales because if I, I am that friend already, but scenario, you know, different scenario. But if I'm at a place where I'm more comfortable and confident in myself and I can tell my friend, oh no, you need to know about XYZ and you need to buy this today. That word of mouth is not happening on a grander scale and go capitalism. Like we can, (laughs) we can get your, get you going. Um, Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I think is pushing the development in sex tech is that women are all over this industry now. They mm-hmm. are designing products and they're also meaning a lot of pushback. You know, Laura DiCarlo, for example, is a sex toy designer and she went to one of the big sex expos. She won an award. Nice. And yet the award later was taken from her because her product, which was a masturbation product for women, was determined to be obscene. And at this conference, like there were other products there, like full on AI sex dolls that were meant for you know, for men, for male pleasure. Oh, Oh, it was a big to do. There was a big stink about it. They ended up giving her the award back. But just the the very idea that, oh, this makes women have orgasms. How obscene. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. meanwhile, men are going to trip and fall penis first into this <laughs> AI sex doll that learns their name. And I mean, uh-huh. it, just the, the double standard of that has always been so pervasive. But now women are saying, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Healthy Pleasure Group, but they also so are sort of a conglomerate where they deal with education, development, marketing of sex toys and, mm-hmm. and other products. You know, people are paying more attention to like lubricant types and mm, yes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and toys that are, well, I shouldn't even say toys because really, I mean, a, a proper sex toy that you're, you're using for intimate purposes, that's a medical device and it should be regulated like one, even though most of them are not, most of them are marketed as toys, which which means that as long as they're not about to catch on fire, chances mm-hmm. are it's considered safe, which, right. you know, it's that's like, no, come on, that's going to go inside my person. I don't want, yes. like, yes. we need to do better than like a Lego or a Tonka truck. Here. Yes. We, we- <laughs> Yes, please. So well, it- and that's it's not that's another thing that that education does because people are shocked to find out how poorly regulated sex toys are, and that inspires people to look for more information and do their own research. Mm-hmm. And you know that that really elevates the whole conversation because it's taking place among people that are better informed. Yes. And so and again, that's... it all comes back to the information. Yes, information will will save us all. So it it takes a lot of energy to save the world one orgasm at 
times and i appreciate that <laughs> uh well not as much as it would take without any orgasm but, <laughs> but i know that after having all of that hardcore focus on making things better you gotta you gotta kind of let loose and go with what you love and that's what i want to touch on on next miss wednesday what is it that you find passion in when it comes to your writing well you know i'm a i'm a horror writer that's mm-hmm. what i really do like that's if i could just do anything all day that's what i would do i would scare the hell out of people in a way that is entertaining <laughs> and occasionally funny I mean, I I do run into the issue of this thing you've written. Is it horror or is it a dark comedy? Interesting. Okay. I I can't always tell where the line is. Well, people, I mean, I write horror books, but they do make people laugh Mm -hmm. because life is absurd and violence is is absurd. And it's, you know, looking at like human motivation and why we do things and the, the dichotomy between what we're trying to accomplish and what we are actually accomplishing and how that all relates to point of view. All of that just lends itself so well to the horror genre. Mm. I'm a great fan of the unreliable narrator. And one Mm. of my favorite things to do is to juxtapose different characters and what they're seeing and what the differences are. Like when a guy comes and says, you know, my boss is is such a a B word and I I don't, you know, I go to this workplace and I work so hard and they don't treat me right. And meanwhile, you have the boss that says, oh, great, he's late again. And now he's complaining and he's not doing anything right you know you have those two perspectives and they they both feel valid to the speaker but there's also a lack of you know cohesion and understanding there that creates the the drama and eventually can lead to you know violence because Mm -hmm. people are dumb and they're impulsive (laughs) and they you know i mean we see that so much in society now that i mean whether it's on the internet or in person people will say things that just mm-hmm. I am agog at some of the things I hear from oh. people even just since COVID you know mm-hmm. this whole like if I get a shot it's taking my freedom away like right. did you not go to school right we've been getting shots for a while now but uh-huh. I, I don't I, I don't want to digress and get yeah. into all that because but I mean horror is one of those things that always exists everyone likes horror to some extent even people that say oh I don't like horror I don't I don't read it I don't watch it oh really what are you reading right now oh this book called the lovely bones it's where this girl gets (laughs) murdered and then her ghost is solving her crime like that's a horror book Mm -hmm. no no it's women's fiction (laughs) that those aren't mutually exclusive right it's semantics find out who Shirley Jackson is and give me a call back do you feel it's interesting that you brought up kind of the the landscape of of where we are at now in this during slash post slash maybe pre uh, next pandemic stage, do you find it more difficult to continue to up the ante in your stories? Nope. Good. All right. I mean, my last full-length horror novel was full-on zombies, and it was finished before the pandemic. Actually, it was, that book is almost twelve years old now. It's oh, it's wow. been out for a while. And which yeah, book is that? That's uh, the Finster Effect. Okay. And that is the zombie book, which also has a lot of great, varied uh, point of view perspectives. And that's the first book that I actually had animal perspectives. I had never done that before. Oh. And some of the point of view characters, there's a dog and a cat, and I think the juxtaposition 
juxtaposition between the voices of those two characters, it cracks me up because the dog is very monosyllabic, excited Uh about everything, Uh you know, play, play, water, play, food. (laughs) And then you have this cat that's like, what are these people doing in my house? They need to leave. They're by my person. Why is that happening? You know, and then, but there's also an army of rats, which are all sort of one big mess that has no like individual components. Mm -hmm. They really just work as one. And you never know. It might turn out that the rats who can cooperate with each other do a little better in the end than the humans who cannot. Fascinating concept. (laughs) I mean, working together might be helpful. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, when's the last time there was a shortage of rats? I ask you. Yes, very, very true. Oh, very, very true. I was looking through your website and came across the collection of creepy, stabby, and mentally odd. And just the phrasing there, I want to applaud you because as we discussed prior (laughs) to this interview, I don't word well all of the time. But I can appreciate uh, wording well. And and creepy, stabby, and mentally odd is not only catchy, but it's, I love short and succinct and, and to the point. So, but with a collection, I'm assuming means more than one. Can you talk a little bit about what lies in there? You know, it's funny, the title, I actually, I wanted something that was as clear and evocative as what I use as the quintessential example of the perfect title, mm-hmm. Snakes on a Plane. You know, it's it's right there you know exactly what you're getting there's like if you went in and there was no plane and no snakes you would feel <laughs> extremely cheated because promises were made uh-huh. and I, th- I think that that the phrase mentally odd is something that I as a, a person with bipolar disorder and PTSD and you know all, all sorts of you know a rich tapestry of craziness and dysfunction I, I often look for phrases that are descriptive and accurate but not necessarily stigmatizing because you know like mm-hmm. sex, like we were talking about, mental illness is another one of those issues that people still meet a lot of resistance. Like I know many people that tell their families they sort of come out as a mentally ill person mm-hmm. and like other kinds of coming out families, sometimes they accept it and they applaud it and they work together to overcome whatever obstacles that presents. And other families say, no, no, you're not that. You just think that this is right. a phase. This is, right. this is not if you know, and they have these antiquated ideas of, well, if you know where you are all the time and you're able to hold down a job and you seem smart, you must not be mentally ill. Well, it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. Mm-hmm. And if we say mentally odd instead, can we just acknowledge that there are differences in how this group of people deals with life issues versus this other, you know, just the varying diagnoses? And mm-hmm. and again, it's about being accurate and just getting at the meat of things without judgment so that people feel, you know, people are given a chance to be honest and straightforward about what's happening with them. Because that's, you know, that's how we find connection and how we have, you know, you, you get a support system in place. Yes, exactly. But, uh, yeah, but but in terms of the actual collection, it is a lot of things that I had written over the course of my horror writing career. So things that had started when I, when I first started publishing short stories, because that's a lot of genre focus writers start getting short stories published and then mm-hmm. they move up to the novel. I sort of tried to do everything at once. I didn't really have a, <laughs> a cohesive uh, career plan at all. I just Again, all, YOLO. All... <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't 
didn't, I didn't even know how that worked. There wasn't, when I got started, I had access to the internet, but the internet wasn't what it was now. Like then if you were looking for a publisher, you'd buy this big book called The Writer's Market. And it was like a phone book for publishing companies. <laughs> and you'd flip through it and find out who was taking unaged submissions and, you know, who would be willing to read something if you didn't already have a marketing plan or an audience. And But I keep getting away from like what's actually in the book because the book itself is there are a lot of different styles of stories. Okay. Um, there's, you know, there's sort of a police procedural where an old woman keeps going to the police station and confessing to murders and the cops don't believe her. And then it sort of follows through that and how that all breaks oh. down. There's uh, there are a few uh, bits of poetry that's fairly uh, murderous. There are, um, you know, some also some social satire mm-hmm. about an organization that takes advantage of people who are desperate to find work. And then in the back of the book, I threw in some comics that I did. I am not a visual artist. I cannot okay. draw. Once you see my comics, you will not need me to tell you that, <laughs> draw. that would be very obvious. And actually, I would love to collaborate with someone who can draw because these the comics are two serial killers who are roommates. And one oh. of them is a, a clown and he murders children and turns them into puppets. And then the other roommate is just your garden variety. I kill and eat women kind of guy. Yeah. You know, and the so, usual. You know, <laughs> well, but I mean, it's, you know, it's an odd couple of, of ridiculous serial killers. And, you know, I did maybe a dozen comics and I felt like roughly half of them were, were good enough to include in the uh, collection. That but is fascinating. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a fun collection. It's varied. It's pretty scary all the way through. Reviewers have been so kind and they use words like beautiful prose and, you know, chilling. And, you know, I just I love knowing that people stayed up all night letting me scare the hell out of them. And that's <laughs> such such an intense compliment that people would give up their sleep just to spend some time with my words. Well, I can't wait to read it. And then I will I will give you the Wednesday words good. Uh <laughs> <laughs> review that you can that you can put on there. We have actually uh, spoiler alert or past episode alert. We have talked to some visual artists, and after this interview, I will give you some names because okay. I think that that would be that would be a great connection. And I'm a sucker for serial killers because I am a, a middle aged white woman, and that is my duty in life to be obsessed with true crime. But I also am oddly obsessed with the odd couple, the Felix Unger. <laughs> kind of dynamic and and merging those two i think that premise sounds so great <laughs> and i i can't wait to to read it and to see it where can i direct people see i'm looking at the list and we didn't even get halfway through the things so i genuinely do hope that we can have you come back sometime but where can people find find you and find all of the all of the great words that you're writing and all of the things that you're doing well well for sex writing i'm at uh, women's health interactive and also roots of loneliness but uh my my books all my horror stuff and my political satire those can all be found on amazon some things my newer stuff is still available in paperback some of it you'll have to settle for kindle but yeah it's it's all there and if you are looking for me uh i am uh, most 
active, uh, probably Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Okay. Um, but there's there's one caveat I have to tell people because they're always shocked when they they see it because I'm I'm progressive. I'm not down with uh, conservative ideology for the mm-hmm. most part. Well, for any part, let's be real. But I have this weird problem where I remember Don Jr. as as being a good guy when he was younger, that he used to be like charming and nice and he didn't like to hurt people's feelings. Plus, he's just so, I mean, you have to feel kind of bad for him because he's mm-hmm. so obviously deeply damaged and yeah. he's been in like full on relapse for like five years now. I just, I want so much for him to turn back into a person mm. and I'm just really pulling for him and that's a difficult thing to explain to a liberal <laughs> friend because they'll say things like don't you listen to him when he talks and i say i i try not to and that's actually what led me to write a political satire book and why i put it under another name because i thought that when i wrote i saved the president's son that liberals would hate it and oh excuse me i thought that maga types would hate it mm-hmm. because i'm I mean, it's all written under, you know, different names and plausible deniability and all that. But I was sure that MAGA people would give me a terrible time about it. And what actually happened was liberals said, my God, how can you make this person seem sympathetic? What the Mm -hmm. hell is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And they got much nastier about it than uh, conservative types. That's surprising. Well, joke that people make is they say, wait, you thought conservatives were going to buy a book and read it? <laughs> Which obviously plenty of conservatives read, but right. I don't know how much right. read political satire from unknown authors. Yeah. Them. Well, we will have links to all of your your social media and your website available in the description. So please get out there and read those words. I know I am going right for creepy stabby mentally odd, but everybody choose at your own discretion. Thank you so very much, Wednesday. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we will talk to you again soon. I would love that. Well, that was great. I met Wednesday, quote unquote, met Wednesday on Facebook. Oh, we were in some sort of mutual group. And, you know, there was like a little flame war thing on and Facebook. She, you know, I know. <laughs> and she was like a ninja with how well she took down this other person and she was witty and clever and she was one of those people that I was just like you're amazing can I send you a friend request and I don't want it to be creepy or anything like that <laughs> and then I saw in her bio like all the stuff that she does and so yeah words. I'm the person who reached out to her That's and said so hey great. Angie what do you think about this and wow that was a great interview yeah words are her jam she the written word absolutely so we're going to close out this episode with another musical guest james hamer you can find him on instagram at james hamer music that's hamer with one m so i'm going to assume it's hamer uh spotify uh he's on as well and closing out this week's episode of great lake celebrates is his song stupid maybe it's because i'm not good looking maybe it's because i'm not that cool That little voice telling me I'm too stupid Got nothing good, don't speak at all I don't need your aid, I'm just gonna do my own thing Let me out my cage, claustrophobic can't think straight I got a plan to get you, 
out of my way I won't feel no shame Tell yourself that you're alright, alright Ignore the other shoulder You're better off than the advice Tell the security to That you're alright 